So um, pastorally speaking, of course. Um, but uh, if you would join me in Ezra chapter 9. And uh, today uh, is one of those messages uh, I decided to call an audible later in the week uh, because uh, uh, the whole section is Ezra 9 and 10. All goes together, uh, gets a bit uh, complex uh, in what we're going to be dealing with. And I decided I didn't want to give you indigestion before we go have barbecue. So uh, we are going to look at Ezra 9 and, uh, and some of the things going on there, uh, but a little bit more thematic than what I'd originally intended. And then we'll get into the weeds uh, next week. But uh, to catch you up to this point, if you haven't been here, uh, Israel was uh, rebelled against God. They went into exile. Uh, Ezra's all about them returning back. Uh, they got to return uh, to fulfill the word of the Lord through uh, Jeremiah the prophet back to uh, Jerusalem. They had the, the opportunity to rebuild uh, the temple and reestablish uh, their, religion, their religion, their custom there in uh, the holy city. And uh, so you've got a remnant that's uh, taken this long journey to return and to do all of this. And then finally, a little bit later on, there's another return with Ezra. And he is someone skilled in the law. Uh, but as uh, he uh, returns, he gets reports of uh, Israel falling back into the same kind of behaviors, same kind of practices that they had before they were exiled. And so we pick up with him hearing that report, Ezra chapter 9, verse 3. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed. I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings, as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Though we are slaves, our God has not forsaken us in bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he has given us all a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. But now, our God, we can say, what can we say after this? For we have forsaken the command you gave through your servants, the prophets, when you said, The land you're entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples. By their detestable practices, they have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance. What has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt. And yet, our God, you have punished us less than our sins deserved and have given us a remnant like this. Shall we then break your commands again and intermarry with the peoples who commit such detestable practices? Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us, leaving us no remnant or survivor? Lord, the God of Israel, you are righteous. We have left this day as a remnant. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. Gracious Father, I thank you for today for your word. 
I pray, Lord, that you would help enlighten us to the truth of what it says, and, Lord, that we'd be faithful to put it into practice. But I pray your blessing over this time that we have, that we'd be renewed and that we'd be formed into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, at the end of uh, losing a Super Bowl, uh, the Green Bay Packers' uh, famous coach, Vince Lombardi, uh, called everybody back you know, for, spring, uh, for practice later on that year after they'd been defeated in the Super Bowl. And uh, everybody gets back, and, you know, these are professionals. They're, they're ready to, uh, to you know, uh, do whatever professionals do. But uh, to their surprise, uh, Vince Lombardi stood up and uttered these famous words, Gentlemen, this is a football. And uh, to little did they, they know, they would spend the rest of the day focused on fundamentals of uh, athletics, of blocking, tackling, things like that. Things they'd learned a long time ago, but they returned back to the fundamentals. In many ways, uh, the book of Ezra is about uh, God's people returning back to the fundamentals of their spiritual faith. Uh, they are returning back to Jerusalem, back to the holy city. They are uh, reconstructing the temple. They are reinstituting the practices, and they are recommitting themselves uh, to the law of Moses. Um, this is about them returning to the fundamentals of their faith, something they had lost a long time ago. Uh, they lost their way. In fact, Israel had a pattern of losing their way and falling back into those same practices. In Judges 21, verse 25, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So they really just had a tendency that all of us have uh, to go back uh, to some of their old ways and just do whatever seems right, whatever feels good. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. We have a tendency today uh, to drift spiritually, morally into just doing whatever we want to do, whatever we desire to do. That's not something new. That's not something that came about in this age. That's something that has happened uh, from the dawn of civilization. And I think our question today is why spend time learning their story? Why spend time in Ezra? You know, Ezra is really, uh, to my surprise as I began to preach, they're really kind of a challenging book uh, to preach because it's historical narrative. Okay, the application is not obvious. Like when we finish this series, you're probably not going to come to the conclusion that God's saying to you to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, right? Right. Uh, and I had Gail in the first service, and he's like, actually, I probably will return to Jerusalem. I'm going to get a group from our church to go there. But uh, So uh, that could happen. But uh, you're not going to draw that out as an application from Ezra. Okay, It's simply historical narrative. It's saying what happened. It's giving us a description of what they did thousands of years ago. But I've got, and this before we even get into uh, the heart of the message today, I, I've got three answers to that. Why spend time learning their story, learning the stories from the Old Testament? And I want to invite you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, very briefly, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul begins to reflect on the history of Israel and on their story. And uh, thinking about some of the things they did, thinking about some of the things that uh, happened during the days of Moses. And uh, the first thing we learn is that we are to learn from their example. Why read the Old Testament? Why is it valuable? Because you can learn from their example. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and following. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, 
as some, some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angels. So he's reflecting back on their story and he's just drawing our attention to what happened to them. And he's saying, pay attention, let's learn from their example. Their story is there for us to look back almost as a microcosm into the Old Testament and say, okay, this is what they did and this was the outcome. Maybe you should do things a little differently. You know, part of maturity and growing up is that you pay attention to your own mistakes and you learn from them. Right? So you say, that's more of a grunt than an amen, right? You know, Uh, some of you, I mean, that's true. We are supposed to learn from our mistakes. When you make a mistake, you're like, you know what? That didn't play out real well. I shouldn't do that again. Now, we're all kind of like we can identify with something else. Paul said, I do what I don't want to do, and I do some of the things I don't want to do, and and stuff like that. So we all have that issue. But part of growing up is that when you make a mistake, you learn from it, and you grow from it. You know, another part of maturing is learning from the mistakes of others. Right? Learning from, seeing what happened in someone else's life. And, and part of that's parenting, right? You're like trying to tell your kid, okay, I've been down that path, right? And let me tell you where it ends up. You don't want to go there. And you pray that they listen, right? Uh, so uh, that's part of all of our story is when you get mature, you look at the stories of others and you learn from them. You gain wisdom from them. You gain strength from them. The story of Israel is here for us to learn from their example, to see how uh, things that were their tendencies, the inclinations of their heart are also true of us as well and to see what they did and to learn not to do that and to learn some things that they did that were good to do that. Another thing of why we would spend time learning from their story is to see how the story points to Christ, to see how the story points to Christ. A little bit later on, uh, Jesus died on the cross. He, he rose from the dead. And there's some guys on the road to Emmaus. And uh, they're really trying to figure out all of these events that took place. Uh, it just it boggles my mind. We, we have this understanding of everything that took place. Why? Because we've got a revelation from God called the Bible. So it gives meaning to all of these things uh, that we read about in the life of Jesus and the life of the apostles to where we can see it from a divine perspective. But they're on the ground. They're walking through it on the ground. They don't obviously have the New Testament yet. They're just trying to figure everything out. So these guys on the road to Emmaus, they're like, man, we thought Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, But then he died on the cross. That ruled him out, right? I mean, if someone dies, that rules them out as the Messiah, they thought. But then our, some of our women amazed us because they came and they told us that the tomb is empty. That the tomb is empty. And they are confused. They're trying to figure it out. But little did they know that Jesus is there with them, walking with them. And so what does he do? He begins to tell them and show them how the law and the prophets and the writings all point to him. They're written concerning him. And it says their hearts burned within them. 
Have you ever uh, been at a sermon or you've been at a Bible study or just in some space where you're learning something new and, and that thing that you're learning that's new helps you see the world totally differently? It gives you a brand new perspective on everything. That's what was happening for them. That's why their hearts were burning within them because for the first time they began to understand the story. How many of you, you've, you've watched a TV series and it's like the, the final episode of whatever season and it leaves you on a cliffhanger, okay? And you're just, you're anxious, you're, you're wanting the next season to come and so forth so you can figure out how things resolve. Everything's left in the Old Testament at a note of tension that needs resolution, a chord that needs resolution. Jesus brings that resolution, but then he helps everybody see things the way it ought to be seen for the first time. And then finally, number three, we're... Almost through with the introduction at this point. 12, 15, right? Okay. Um, then 2 Timothy 3, 15, he encourages Timothy to devote himself to the scriptures that makes you wise for salvation. Wise for salvation. Now, I just want you to imagine you're, you're put on this planet and you're growing up in a space where there's no church, there's no Bible. What do you think on your own you would conclude would be the meaning of life? What, what would you draw from uh, to help you understand why you're here on this earth, what the meaning of life is, what it means to be human, all of these things? What, what would, how would you gain that knowledge? You can gain knowledge by looking at creation and saying that there is a God, but the Bible informs us who that God is. It points us to Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross. But even in the Old Testament, notice they didn't have the New Testament at that point when Paul wrote Second uh, Timothy, they didn't have that. They had the Old Testament. So he's reasoning with them from the scriptures to help them understand what salvation looks like, that this God who delivered Israel has revealed himself now in the word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is why we spend time in the Old Testament. Um, today, uh, here's a question we're going to look at. What are three opportunities we have each day? What are three opportunities we have each day? Really, Ezra is about a new opportunity. Okay, it's a new opportunity. Uh, it's not like you messed up, you went into exile, story over. Okay, it's not like Adam and Eve, you sinned, you blew it, and so now story over. No, the story continues. Why? Because God is a God of fresh chances, of new opportunities, and that's what we're going to look at today. So here's uh, three opportunities we have each day. Number one, return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Now I want to invite you to join me in Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. Really to see the goodness of this opportunity, you have to put it in contrast to what went wrong. What went wrong. And, and this is taking us back before they went into exile. Uh, so if we were in a movie, this would be like uh, suddenly you go back in time and it's like uh, decades before this. And that, that's what happens in Jeremiah 7. We're going back and uh, the scene is everybody going to worship. Everybody's coming to worship. They're coming to the gates of the temple and so forth. And everybody's got on their Sunday best. They're showing up. And there's this nuisance named Jeremiah the prophet. And as they're coming up, Jeremiah the prophet is preaching at them. Now, how would you like it if you didn't even get through the doors of the church and some guy was out there preaching at you? Like I ain't even got set down yet to get comfortable. Somebody's preaching at me before I even get there. That's Jeremiah. 
And he's calling them out for what they've been doing. He's uh, bringing to their attention their ways and how it goes against the way of the Lord. So, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. So he's standing at the gate of the Lord's house as people come into worship. And here's what he says. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Talking about Jerusalem. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, talking about Jerusalem, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are, de- you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Skip all the way down to verse 15. I will thrust you from my presence just as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. So let's look at the problem here. They have fallen into idolatry, uh, but they've fallen into injustice, not caring for the widow, not caring for the foreigner, not caring for uh, the orphan. Uh, and those things strike right at the heart of God. That's what God is passionate about, and uh, that's what uh, reflects his character, is his concern and compassion for the least of these. They felt safe. Because Yahweh is our God. So, never, so what would they have done with Jeremiah? Oh, there's that guy again. Let's just get into service this morning, honey. Let's, let's walk a different way. Let's go into a different entrance. Well, there's really only one entrance. They didn't have multiple entrances. But, uh, but you can get the idea. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. We are selective in what we will allow into our ears and pay attention to. Some of us on Sunday morning, it's like wah, 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 right? Like we're here, somebody's talking, and we, we are uh, seated there respectfully, but does it really break through, and does the message really resonate? For them, Jeremiah was just wah, 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 as they walked in to worship. And they didn't pay attention to him. They wanted to hear some preachers who would tickle their ears and tell them what they really wanted to hear. You're safe. This is a temple. This is a temple. This is a temple. Nothing to worry about. Everything's fine. Yahweh is our God. But Jeremiah says, no, you have forsaken the Lord. If you turn back to him, then you won't leave this place. But the reality is, you've already exiled yourself from the Lord. Long before they went on a physical exile... They had already gone on the spiritual exile all by themselves. So the physical exile was simply a reflection of what they had already done in their hearts. They were showing up to church looking prim and fit and everything. They looked fine. But their lives did not reflect the character of the God they claimed to worship. They were committing injustices. They did not care for those in need around them. So the consequence, of course, is that they're exiled. But notice how Jeremiah characterizes this, verse 15, I will thrust you from my presence. Now, how does God do that if he's omnipresent? How does God thrust you from his presence if he's omnipresent? Well, we would say that God is all-present, ever-present, that he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. But 
uh, certainly the way he set it up in the Old Testament is that his, what we might call his revelatory presence was there in the temple, meant to be the center of their custom, of their culture, of their daily practice. Everything was to revolve around the temple because everything is to revolve around the presence of God. And they had walked away from it. Now I just want you to imagine for a moment someone who brings you joy, Someone who just being in their presence, it, it, it fills your heart with joy and peace and comfort. You, there, there's an assurance there when, when you uh, have something good happen to you, you want to call them, you want to tell them what's going on because you know they will rejoice with you. They will be happy for you. And when you're going through a low time, when you're going through a valley, you want to call them because you know they will grieve with you and they will comfort you. They are your ally. They are with you. And yet all of us are sinful. All of us have blemishes, all of us have imperfections, but the God that we worship is perfect in holiness. He is set apart from all of our darkness, all of our wicked ways. He is perfect in goodness and truth and beauty. He is life, light, and love. That's who God is. And they have turned away from him, just like Adam and Eve did. And so they are being thrust from the presence of the Lord. You say, okay, so what's the point? The point is now God is allowing them to return. If the point of them leaving was that they had to walk away from the presence of the Lord, the point of them returning is that they're returning to the Lord himself. It's not a geography thing for them. This is a spiritual thing for them to return to the presence of the Lord, the one who's goodness, the one who's truth, the one who's beauty, the one who loves them. He's drawing them back. They have a fresh chance. They have a new opportunity even after all the detestable things that they've done, and even after God knows, they're going to do it again. And they still get to go back. Whatever your background is this morning, I want you to know something. God loves you. It's so simple, yet it's so profound. So simple, yet so profound. And some of us, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. But I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient. His forgiveness Yes, oh Jesus, his forgiveness will change your life if you will receive it, if you'll accept it. Today you have an opportunity to return to the Lord. Number two, return to the way. Return to the way. Ask a curious question, what is the chief end of Ezra? Like what's the point of this book? Um... I want you to think about the people that came back, okay? In our passage we read, he called it them a remnant. Not everybody returned, okay? So a lot of people were exiled. Some got to stay, but a lot of people were exiled, and then some of them returned back. They voluntarily chose to do this, by the way. Okay, nobody's forcing them to do this. Many wanted to go back, and so uh, by the king's decree, they were able, they were allowed to go back. And so this is a remnant that has devoted themselves to go back to Jerusalem. Had they ever lived there before? No. Most of them had not. Some of them had. They had seen the temple, uh, the former temple. They had seen the things. That, but most of them, they're going back to mom and daddy's place. They're going back to grandma and grandpa's place that they had never themselves been. And so it's kind of like when, uh, when I uh, took my, my daughters through Henderson, you know, there are things that every time I turn a corner, I see something that, that has sentimental value to me. And I'm trying to explain it to them. They're like, yeah, okay, that's cool. But there's no possible way that you can uh, drum that up for yourself. 
So these are people who are devoted to the Lord, so passionate that they would voluntarily choose to spend months going back to a land that really was not their home personally. It was the home of their people to go back and to reestablish themselves and to build the temple. They didn't ask to go back. They didn't ask for the opposition when they would build the temple and they were discouraged. They didn't ask for that. But these are devoted, a devoted remnant to the Lord. Even they got discouraged. Even they stopped. Even It took Haggai and Zechariah saying, hey, is it time for you yourselves to build your paneled houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruins? Is that okay with you? Let, let, let's take a look at our priorities. Consider your ways, Haggai said. And so, yeah, the people got revved up and they went back. This is the same people, though, that are now falling back into detestable practices. You see, what is the goal of Ezra? Is it just to return to Jerusalem? Is it just to go back? Go back to your homeland? Is it just a construction project? Is it just to build? No, no, no. The point is to renew their commitment to the Lord. It's spiritual renewal for them to return to uh, practicing the Torah and practicing the way of the Lord. It's about the presence of God. So returning and rebuilding are not the chief ends. They are means to an end. Now, I want to invite you uh, over the next week to read Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay, really just one book. It's divided up in our Bibles, but really originally just one book. I encourage you to read Ezra and Nehemiah and ask yourself this question when you get to the end of it. Did they ever get to that third part? Renewal. They returned, obviously, check. They rebuilt, check. But did they ever get to a place where there was spiritual renewal? Um. I'll leave that for you to to meditate on over the course of the next week. But this is a means to an end. I think we have a lesson to learn from them. There's a lot of things that we do that are means to an end, not the end itself. Okay? Obviously, we're in the middle of uh, construction projects. Important. Means to an end. Why? Because we want to share the gospel. We want to make disciples. You've got a group of people who have prayed and considered all these things and said, hey, this is what we feel like would help us fulfill that mission. Still a means to an end. We want to minister to people. We want to make disciples to show the world the way, the truth, and the life of Christ. That's why we exist. So we can get uh, distracted in a number of different things. They could have felt real good about themselves when they completed the foundation, when they got the altar up, when they got the temple uh, constructed. They could have said to themselves, mission accomplished, and they would have been wrong. Because this is not a construction project. This is about returning to the Lord and returning to His way. And at a critical moment in their journey, rather than returning to the Lord in His way, they return back to their old ways. And we are called to be a different people, to be a light to the nations, which brings us to number three, return to the mission. Return to the mission. Okay, so the chief end is to return to the Lord, return to his way, and return to his mission. Um, an Old Testament goal is to reach all the nations. Okay, to reach all of the nations. In Genesis 12, God chose Abraham. And we say, well, God was being very selective there. He just chose one person. Uh, but he says exactly why he chose that one person. He chose 
that one person really to choose a people and through that people to bless all the peoples of the earth. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I will, through you, I will bless all the families of the earth. So right from the very beginning, God's vision is global. I just want to read you some passages today to help uh, draw this out. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, it, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Chapter 49, excuse me, uh, verse 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. In other words, Israel, you're supposed to be, for me, a kingdom of priests. So that other nations have their ways, they have their culture, they have their customs and their practices, their religion. And they're to be able to look in and see the way that you conduct yourself and say, oh, that's the right way. That's the way we ought to go. It ought to be a colony of heaven on earth where other nations can look in. But as we just read a little bit earlier, they have fallen right back into the practices of all the other nations. So when other nations look in, all they see is a reflection of, their, of themselves because they have become like the gods that they worship in injustice, unkindness, cruelty, idolatry, things like that. They, they had fallen into all of that. And so when other nations looked in, they just saw themselves. And they are to be representing God. We're going to close with this, but let me just say this. Um, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When church is done right, what people from the outside ought to be able to see, they ought to be able to walk through the doors, intermingle with us, and they ought to be able to get a taste of what God is like and what heaven is like. Simply by being in our presence. Why? Because we are set apart, we are separate from the ways of the world, and we operate in holiness where we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbors as ourselves, and that is the culture, that is the way of this church. That's the way we ought to be. So that people can walk in, they can see that, and know that we're representing God. That is a weighty thing for us, for you to know that you are a representative of God. That how you live your life and how we conduct ourselves in this place reflects upon who God is. And that's why he removed himself and his presence from them. Let's bow our heads and close, excuse me, close our eyes this morning. I want you to imagine walking into worship and someone's outside bringing up something that you know that you are practicing that needs to be dealt with. They're bringing it up as you walk into worship. I ask you a question. Do you take that seriously or do you ignore it? Do you hear what Jeremiah would have to say or do you ignore it and move on because it's easier that way? It's more comfortable to selectively let things in and selectively keep things out. What is God saying to you this morning through his word? Is he saying to you, return to me.
Return to my way. Return to my mission to reach the nations. Because here's the beautiful thing. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning you wake up, it's a new opportunity for you to return to the Lord, to return to his way, to return to his purpose. Will you commit to do that today? Whatever has happened before, whatever has happened before in your life, will you commit to do that today? Gracious Father, we're thankful for your love and for your kindness, for the opportunity we have as brothers and sisters together in the name of Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would devote ourselves to you. We'd learn from this story. And Father, you'd form us into a new people. We're thankful for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and the altar's open if you want to come trust in Christ, if you want to follow through a believer's baptism, if you want to join and partner with our church, or maybe you just need to come kneel at the altar and pray, God, help me to hear you today. Help me to see you today. I'm uh, recommitting myself to you today. I'm returning to you today. would invite you to do that right now as we sing. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold. 